0: This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food from Mzanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. How's it Mzansi and welcome to episode 21 of Farmers Inside Track. Yes, we are still in lockdown due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So this is another episode where all the participants are connecting virtually Whatever it takes to bring thought leaders such as today's guest directly to you. If we haven't met, my name is Dor Noomdu and I'm the editor of Food for Mzansi. My co-host today is Iva Price, the co-founder of South Africa's leading agricultural lifestyle and news brand.
1: Hey Dawn, it sounds like I'm the only South African who's really enjoying the lockdown. I'm getting so much work done and of course it's been a crazy time for the Food for Mzansi team in lockdown. In this period alone, we've reached close to a million people with our simple message that agriculture can create social cohesion. Dawn, I'm very excited about today's guest.
0: We've been hoping to catch up with Prof. Almin Duplessis for a long time. She's an expert in land expropriation law and also an associate professor at the Northwest University. Stay tuned. This promises to be another great episode. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.
1: So joining us virtually is Amin Duplessis, a law professor and expert in land and expropriation law. Thanks for joining us, Amin. How's the lockdown going for you and your family?
0: Oh,
2: thanks for having me, Iva. Well, the lockdown has actually been quite an amazing time to connect with the children. They have actually been quite amazing and resilient. Sometimes also a bit frustrating because, you know, aside from what's happening outside, you're also never going to know what's happened in a day at home. So I think it's been a joyful time to spend together, but it's also sad sometimes because we cannot see our loved ones. And I think this for me is what COVID is. It's this mix of all these emotions in one. So some days you feel very courageous and you feel like you can face the world and do things. And other days, you know, it's you're not so courageous and you're fearful. So you, we all sit, I think, with all these emotions that we need to work on so yeah the practical side it's been a challenge you know juggling homeschooling and work and the husband but i think what's important is for me this is a time that forces us to pause and to think and to think about what we want for the world and to learn new things that equipped us better and to also unlearn really bad habits so yeah there's all these things locked up in in the lockdown for me
0: Almin, I couldn't agree with you more. And as we're nearing the end of this part of the lockdown, although COVID-19 will only really peak in South Africa in late August, do you believe in some weird way this pandemic will change our country and the world for the better? I
2: think this links to what I said earlier, you know, this mix of emotions, and, and that also plays out in how we view the future, because I think this pandemic is terrible, right? So there are a lot of people who are getting sick, a lot of people are dying, but there's also great. Opportunity in this pandemic and the way we can respond to this. So, we see things outside, it happens at quite a rapid speed, and we see like enormous changes in the world. I think if you said to somebody some time ago we would be speaking about the basic income grant, for instance, in South Africa, people would say, No way, we can't afford it. But all of a sudden, this is on the table. So, it also gives me tremendous hope for the future. But I think there's that story about the wolves, right? If You're going to feed the bad wolf or the good wolf, and that's the wolf that's going to grow. So I think that the potential for a great change and a great future is there, but we, we, we need to harness it and we need to feed it.
1: Of course, during this pandemic, there's been a really fine line between enforcing the lockdown, I mean, and violating the human rights of South African citizens. Are you happy with the way government, the police, the army has been doing things?
2: This is a very difficult thing to answer. I think as lawyers, we always see the bad sides. In life, we always deal with the problems. So especially we've been confronted with many of these human rights violations. But I think it's also important to remember, as my colleague Prof. Tsepo Madlingozi said, that the government is not homogenous or monolithic. So we are seeing different sides of the government at the moment. We are seeing those ministers and people in charge that understand the constitution and that conduct themselves in line with it and those that have no regard for the constitution. And I think, yeah, Minister Bekitele is perhaps the best example for that. So, yes, I think there are some regulations that do go too far. They do infringe too greatly. It does not really serve the purpose of what it, it's meant to serve. But I've also seen governments step back some time after consultation. So they've also amended the regulations to, to lessen the impact. So it's difficult for me because at the same st- the one we are making laws by ministerial uh, decree. And we must always be vigilant about that because ministers can abuse power. So we must stand and look out for that. But it's also a time of quick decision making. So there are going to be a lot of mistakes made. And we must navigate our way through this, always remembering that we remain a constitutional democracy. That, for me, is very important. There are no rights that are suspended. Nothing is suspended. The democracy is not suspended. And then as far as the implementation comes, I think there are good police and bad police and good army and bad army. So there are some really problematic aspects, as I said before. And I think we need to speak up about that. and they need to be held accountable for their actions. But we also see good things happening and people really being kind, Well, I was thinking on this weekend, while I was not working, I was thinking, you know, we we use the language of war to describe this COVID. We we speak about the war against the virus, and we are at war with the virus, and we have all these war councils that make the decisions about the virus and I think that actually also adds to some of the problems we see because if you are at war you are fighting and that will justify violence and I think in line also with with Dawn's question about the changing of the world I think if you just look at it differently people are getting sick so we need to foster some care and if we start to speak about the virus in a sense of caring and taking measures to care then i think the enforcement might not be that violent and and that war driven
0: Great point, Almin. And as you so rightly said, I think in in any democracy, government would always do well to remind itself that constitutional rights always apply. But let's take a few steps back to the time you served on President Phil Ramaphosa's land reform panel. Looking back, what's the one thing you would have liked to perhaps have done differently during this time? I
2: want to make a little correction there. I did not serve on the land reform panel formally. I was asked to come and address them on the issue of expropriation without compensation, so I played a, a minimal role there. It's always difficult with these things, and also always looking back, my question I always ask myself is, did I get my message across in a way that showed that, you know, you understand the human need in something, but that the law is a regulate society? So on a very personal level, I would have perhaps try to do this in a, in a way that's more empathetic. But since I didn't really formally serve on the panel, I didn't really have power to do things differently. I was just asked to come and speak to them about expropriation without compensation. And, and I think they, I'm happy with the advice that I gave them.
1: In all your dealings with the land reform panel, I Almin, mean, did you get a sense that there was a very clear policy on what our government wanted to achieve in the agricultural sector.
2: See, for me, that's one of the problems. I do get the sense, well, before COVID, maybe things will change now. There was not really one agreed-on goal that we want to achieve, and it's always very difficult to make decisions if you don't know what the goal is. There are two policy ways, as you and you get the one ideological stance that focuses largely on small-scale farmers and only giving assistance or only focusing on small scale farmers and then you get the other one that's more driven towards the large agricultural businesses etc and these two sort of ideologies if I can call it that they sometimes play tug at a war so you need to reconcile them if you can or you have to make a decision And I think government is not always clear on what it needs to achieve. It's also because you need to to make a decision, right? So I think what we see in COVID now is government make real firm decisions on things and they go with it. And that works because you can harness people to do things if you have a goal that you want to achieve. But if you're unsure about what the goal is that you want to achieve, making decisions is very difficult. So I didn't see a very clear policy. I think the panel report was sort of a mixed fruit of various ideas, which is great because there are ideas that you can work from. But there wasn't one definite goal that says, this is what we want to achieve with land reform. But the panel could also not make that decision. It's a political decision that the government needs to make.
0: I mean, this might be strange for our podcast listeners from other parts of the world. But in South Africa, farmers don't just worry about the weather and the markets. They are also faced with issues around land tenure, land expropriation and a potential constitutional amendment. Do we have the legal instruments in place to deal with this in a mature, peaceful manner?
2: Yes, I do think we have the legal instruments in place to deal with this. In a mature and peaceful manner, as laws are not always perfect, but basis that we have there, we've got very good laws and we've a very good constitution, I still think. I mean, it's not perfect, but we have everything that we need in order to do this in a mature and peaceful manner. We just need the, people always say, the political will. And I think, that, again, if I can bring it back to COVID, we can get quite a lot done when there's a political will. We can even make quite big changes when there's a political will so we have the instruments in place to deal with this we just need to implement it
1: it's one thing to have the legal instruments in place but do you get the sense that we have the political will to deal with some of the uncomfortable law-related issues that have been dragging on for 25 years and and why has it been dragging on for 25 years
2: that's a very good question i think it's not always been high on the political agenda for one and i think We've had beautiful court cases last year on, well, it's not really beautiful, the outcome was beautiful, but to hear just how things dragged and lagged for 25 years which was quite dramatic. Really difficult for me to say why it's been dragging for 25 years. Also because I know a lot of my colleagues, you stand in the courtrooms year after year and you ask government to do things. I think the political will lacked. I think when the EFF started making this a political, harnessing it for political gain, that gained traction. So there's also something good in this conversation that we had. But it's also, again, to, to get back to the previous question, It's very important to have a goal that you want to work towards. You know, land reform. Why do we want land reform and why is it important? And what do people want when they say they want land reform? Do people want to farm? Do they want to farm commercially? Um, Do they just want land to, to ensure that they will not be removed from the land, so secure tenure? I think that might also be why we dragged a bit, because we focused on one model. And when it failed, we didn't really go back to say, okay, what do we need to change oftentimes what happened is we we changed the model completely. So I think to get the political will, you also need to get the goal and to say this is what we want and now go and do it.
0: Almin, you are a law professor, but you also have a great relationship with farmers. What's the one thing ordinary South Africans can learn from people who feed us on a daily basis?
2: My grandfather was also a farmer, and I think the one thing is resilience, because farmers, as you said before, you know, they're not just worried about the weather and about this and that, that, there's so many things that they worry about and they are used to things coming in cycles, right? So I think farmers are used to drought cycles and all these things. There's something of resilience in there that they know how to cope also when it's difficult. is also the joke that they moan a lot. (laughs) I think what stands out for me is, you know, and I also saw this when COVID was proclaimed, the farmer stood up and said, we are still here, we can still provide food. And there's for me a, a great element of resilience in there that I really appreciate.
1: I Amin, mean, do you have fun memories on your grandfather's farm as a kid?
2: I have great memories. He wasn't a big farmer. I think today in today's terms he would be classified as a small farmer. And I also think he might not have survived because they had quite a lot of government support back then, to be honest. But I have memories of getting up early and driving in the, the truck to take the corn to the co-op, etc. And this also came up. My grandfather had to leave school when he was in grade 8, because it was just after the Depression and the family didn't have a lot of money, so he had to go and work. He could never finish school and he actually wanted to study languages and to become a writer. The memories that I have of him and my grandmother telling me about the times of the depression and how you save up and how simple one can actually live in order to make sure that when, and that's a part of the resilience again, like when the difficult times come that you have enough to survive. So that was a great memory that came up in my head this weekend. I love hearing you
1: share that great memory of the time on the farm. I Amin, mean, do you believe that our farmers have the personal conviction to make change happen And are there perhaps specific projects that you are aware of where farmers have subdivided the land for the benefit of their workers?
2: Well, again, this, you know, farmers are not a a homogenous group. So, but I think the farmers that I have met, they have great personal conviction to make changes happen. And I think there's a great will. And, And again, this COVID showed us again how interconnected we are and it started to foster a culture of care. And I think if we can harness that, We've got great future ahead of us. We must just keep the momentum going. I know of many projects where farmers wanted at least to subdivide the land for the benefit of their workers. It's not always successful because of the challenges in terms of legislation. I think if the opportunities are there and if the mechanisms are in place, I think farmers will come to the party, you know, divide land and, and help people to establish uh, successful farms.
1: At Food for Muzansi, we of course believe that agriculture can create social cohesion. I mean, so I love hearing that. We are running out of time, but we also wanted to get a sense of your fun side. So, if you, <laughs> if you for a moment some fun bits. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be and why? I think
2: I would be a fever tree. I actually love fever trees. And again, going back to the farm memories, my grandfather had this big acacia tree and I just have memories of, of lying under that tree and looking at the sky. And now I, I, nowadays I just really love the fever trees.
1: So you've just heard that you actually won a hundred million rand in the lottery, but you have to spend at least 50% on a project that can make the country better. How would you spend that 50 million rand?
2: I think I would spend 50 million rand on children and I would spend it on education, to be honest. And I think everything will flow from that. I'm not sure. I've seen many amazing things happening around Johannesburg, then Jeppie's with in relation to children and education and how if you just lay the foundations, if you just get children curious and teach them how to read and to foster love of reading I think the sky is the limit and I think if we can start there I think that ensure a good future.
0: I'm interested to know how your own children is coping with COVID. I'm losing my head (laughs) with my two-year-old is packing out books in the library at the moment. (laughs) How are they coping?
2: They're actually coping really, really amazing. I think they made that head change that's needed, that you cannot really go out now. Every now and again, we have meltdowns because they miss friends. But you also change a little bit of your expectations, I think. (laughs) We try and do something every day. They are now homeschooling, so in the morning, that keeps them busy. Then we try and we've started watching really old movies like E.T., as family time together, and I think when you foster that type of connection with your children, there's really great cooperation that flows from that. So I really value this time for, for what it gave me in terms of my family and my family life.
1: I don't have kids of my own, but it's been fascinating how my colleagues, and the people we speak to, like you, Almin, Dawn, I can hear that you're doing your thing, bringing your children into your world of work. Maybe that's another positive about COVID-19, so they can actually see what their parents are doing on a daily basis. Didn't you find it a bit scary to speak to your children about COVID-19? It's quite a horrific thing, constantly being bombarded with all the horrible stats. Um, We literally can't leave the house because of this faceless virus. How do you speak to your kids about it, I Amaline? Mean.
2: So they older 2 They are eight and 11. They are great fans of Trevor Noah. So I let him do the talking there. And then we sort of discuss what he said there. It's obviously a lot of, he's focused on America. But there are also quite a lot of nice stories for the younger ones. So the other one is four. And the one story that I particularly liked was this story about um, butterflies And it said, you know, sometimes butterflies, they go into a cocoon. And while they're in a cocoon, from a worm to becoming a butterfly, it's really messy and it's yucky sometimes. And and I try and say, well, like this butterfly is in a cocoon, we in our house, we are also in a cocoon. But, you know, when all this is done, we are going to emerge as butterflies. And and then we speak about that and, And because my father is quite old and he's in the vulnerable group. I also try and say I am worried so I I think I'm quite honest about my emotions and we deal with them and we say how we feel but also to say well while this is messy and while we are scared and while we are sometimes sad because we cannot see our parents or grandparents or friends in the end you know maybe we can emerge as a butterfly out of all of this.
0: I mean what a privilege to be able to talk to you I just want to ask you one last question. Do you think that we will be able to resolve land expropriation peacefully in South Africa?
2: The uh, potential is always there. I think We can do it if we really sit together and talk about, again, what our goals are, what is it that we want to achieve. And we have open and frank conversations. I think we must also be open to new ideas. You can come to the party and you can have this conversation, but you must also come to the party knowing that you yourself might be changed by this conversation. And if we can all come into this with that idea, I think we can resolve it, yes.
1: Thanks for your time, Almi, and thanks for the inspiration. I know what I want to be after this lockdown. I don't want a to be a butterfly. I want to be <laughs> a butterfly. It's a great sport, and thanks for cheering for Food from Zansi. We really, really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for this interview.
1: This brings us to the end of today's Farmers Inside Track podcast. Stay safe, stay home, stay sane with Food from Zansi, especially during this COVID-19 lockdown. Until next time, goodbye.
0: You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Forms Ansi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.